Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM, let's create. I don't have another reality at that time. I was so immersed in making these films. I, it's hard to explain. I did not have, I have not re- texted my mother back. I don't have a, my best friend in New York. So I trying, it's like it's over. The friendships are because he never talked to us. And it was extreme. So when your whole reality is moved to this place called Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota, and, and you're, you know, you're there to make a film, you just have to do it. Because otherwise, like, you have to start over your life. <laughs> that was Chloe Zhao. I'm San Fragoso, and this is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. Director Chloe Zhao has had many lives in many different places. She was born and raised in Beijing, did high school in London, then she moved to America and went to a college in Massachusetts, eventually ending up at a graduate program at NYU. Now, after the success of her debut film, Songs My Brother Taught Me, she's back with a feature called The Rider. The film opens with bad news when Brady, a young, laconic cowboy, is told he can no longer compete in the rodeo circuit. Here's a bit from the trailer. No more riding, no more rodeos. If you don't stop, your seizures are going to get worse. I had to sell Gus, Brady. You can't sell Gus. It's not like you can ride anymore. You seen Lane? Remember when he went three for three in McCool Junction and won it? 
Yeah, that was a good night for Lane. There you go. Sometimes dreams aren't meant to be. Who's this? That's Apollo. Wow, that's amazing. A horse that never had nobody on his back before. Where are you going with that? I'm going to the rodeo. You don't need to go ride today. I'm entered and I'm riding. Go kill yourself then. Chloe's sophomore film is the kind of movie that many will call uh, methodically paced and subtle and quiet. Usually those are just kind of code words for it's really, really boring and slow. The writer is really neither of those things, though. It's one of the few movies I've seen in the last couple of years that absolutely deserves to be seen in a theater. Set in South Dakota, it's one of these lush, gorgeous, sweeping films that I'm convinced was only shot at Magic Hour, and every frame of Chloe's film is a marvel to experience. Over the next hour, you're going to hear a lot about her beginnings at the NYU film program under Spike Lee and many others. You also hear one of the most, um, to be honest, heartbreaking stories that has been told on this podcast to date. It's a story about loss, and you know what? I'm not even going to spoil it. It's such a good story um, that comes in around the halfway mark. And, uh, you know, sometimes those who make great films are not exactly great at talking about it on a podcast or on an interview. But by the end of this, I really think Chloe was very eloquent about the strange path she took to being a filmmaker and how everyone who's ever tried to make anything has to, um, well, go on their own journey of sorts. So, finally, here is Chloe Zhao. Chloe? Hello. How are you feeling? Good. How are you? I'm okay. My life is fine. I have not had a film that has seemingly played at every film festival in the last uh, year like you have. How are you uh, Are you fatigued at this point with this movie? I'm fatigued in general in life, <laughs> so nothing new. But I've been very fortunate that I can send my, uh, my, my young actor out to represent the film. And he's been doing such a good job that I have been... Uh, Getting some rest here and there. Mm. You know, my first thing in, in looking at your body of work, this is your second yeah. movie now, and you've made some shorts before that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go back to your time at grad school at NYU. Mm-hmm. What was, you started at what, 26, 27? Is that when you went? Probably, yeah, something like that. What, do you remember like the first day of grad school at NYU? Yeah, it was, uh, we were, we were, Put in a room we call it ten twenty seven. It's it's a room where like everybody gathers on the tenth floor, and, and the reason why I'm saying this because I was just there screening the writer and, and <laughs> giving a Q and A, and just I was I don't know I didn't know I I didn't grow up watching a lot of movies and so I I never made films before, didn't know what I was getting myself into. But there were some fun people in the room. Mm. Did you feel intimidated at all? Not really. No, I think it was, I was such a blank, blank canvas. So, but I always I felt like I can tell stories 
somehow I just wasn't sure. I mean, I was everybody just you know waiting for to get to the bar. <laughs> People were just trying to get to know each other. And I've been bartended for three years in New York by then. So it just felt like I was just meeting people. When this classes start starts, because the way NYU is, they really train you from nothing, you know, and they made an effort of bringing people in with no experience with filmmaking. You were a bartender before that? Yeah. Oh, I also was a waiter. Um, and I didn't know this. Oh, yeah. How 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 did that go? I was I had a liberal arts degree in, <laughs> in American politics. So and I thought, what am I gonna do with that? Yeah, uh, I think you're describing a lot of people's college fates here. Yes. So you you think you want to study and learn about the world, and then realize you can't really use much of that. And then a lot of us either move to New York and become investment bankers or the bartenders. <laughs> It's either investment banking or bartending. Pretty much, for liberal arts degree, I mean, or teaching, pre-med, whatever. Um, I just was not ready to go back. I was never an intellectual. I don't know why I was in the liberal arts college, and uh, I didn't really read much. So I just wanted to um, get my hands dirty and do something pure physical, um, and bartending was... One of them, yeah. Was there a moment when you were bartending and waiting tables where you thought to yourself, I guess I want to make movies now? I never stopped. I grew up wanting to become a manga artist. Uh -huh. I wanted to draw manga, um, and I did. So that was my uh, uh, first telling stories in frames. And I never stopped. I, mean, I always wrote stories online. I have a online identity where I write weird fiction stuff and um and then I did that even in New York when you were I, smiling so large there about this online identity you have I write fan fiction uh-huh can can we find that somewhere no way <laughs> there's a reason why is the alias it's the reason you're smiling about yeah it. I got it exactly we all have our kink you know yeah um but then uh <laughs> I can't believe I just admitted that um but then I was at an age where, you know, I, I just feel like I have to do something with my life. And um, I literally looked up a deadline for film school and it was a month away. So I said, like, okay, I need to take months off from work mm. and try to apply for these two film schools in New York because I didn't want to leave New York. Did you have professors early on at NYU that you found especially helpful? I, I know um, I went to the Independent Spirit Awards. Mm hmm and when Spike Lee went on stage, it was like, Chloe Zhao, I love Chloe. And I, I, was, I, I uh, <laughs> was like, oh my. Which was like high praise. He was, he was calling you out on stage. Yeah. Spike and I used to, used to shout at each other in his office. <laughs> <laughs> Spike, do you remember that? Um, no, well, he, Spike is such a character. You know, he's, uh, uh, he's... I'm so also really grateful to have him and and he he tells it like it is you know he never he never I I just he would never sugarcoat things right and uh I, he gave me a little grant as well for my first film and um we would be talking about scripts and we'd get really heated and then and then uh in the end we'd be like okay cool did you guys just have different positions on the on the thing you wrote no it's more like just the way we communicate Mm. <laughs> well, I think we, it's just like us talking, but we somehow 
like to, you know, get very passionate. Well, you do seem, I mean, I don't, I haven't known you for very long, but you do seem softer than Spike. I've talked to and interviewed Spike before and he is very aggressive. I think it's wonderful. I, I I have another side of me. It comes out. It comes up. Okay, so that's the goal of this interview, is to get that yeah. side of you out. <laughs> this is the only interview you don't have to be polite during. Can I curse? Yes. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. So who else was especially inspiring back then? Um, Meg Cassell, who is my screenwriting professor, um, who I just sat down and uh, less than a week ago. Uh, when I had 24 hours in New York, I made sure I sat down with him and and tell him about my next project, and he's like, "Well, see, that's that part character. The you know, I still learn from him. I go to his classes still when I'm in New York. I'll sit in his his writing class oh. whenever I'm in New York. He has a class, so he's been a, a really close mentor to me. What were your contemporaries like at the time? Were they supportive? Were they interesting in the ways that you wanted them to be you mean classmates yeah yeah we had a very i mean all, all the teachers would tell you that we had a really close class and uh, i mean there's like a couple of them married each other and you know in the end <laughs> we we just happened to have a because also we had a class that very few had ex- filmmaking experience says you know so we oh. really bonded in on, on that level um it is, people are, the reason why I went to film school because I don't have a network of friends and to make films with, and I don't know anybody. But it's also an environment that breed competitiveness. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a situation where y- your own vision and your own ego and, and you as a filmmaker is being encouraged to the extreme as well. It's not necessarily healthy either. You have to manage, manage it. Did you like the competitiveness? I liked it when I was there, but when I left, I realized the consequences of that. What are the consequences? Well, just decisions made along the way. You know, um, sometimes you, you make a film, just how much emphasis you put on certain decisions. You can only know later on. That might not be the smartest because you can only know once you make something else and you realize oh, you need an, another set of skills you didn't explore because you think something else is more important. Mm. Did the school give you that network of people to make stuff that you wanted? For my um, for the short films, yes. NYU, and I'm glad of all the film school I went to NYU because it, tr- it trains you in every department. So when I started making my first feature right after the financial crisis <laughs> and then can raise money, then... I was a, I think it helped to make films in on a smaller scale if you can understand what everyone is doing. Mm. Making movies at that time in New York must have been very strange. Uh, you mean the short films while we're making? Yeah, I mean, given that there was not a whole bunch of money and you're in a competitive city. Right, but it hasn't started. It hasn't sunk in yet, you see. Like, uh. It only started... I, only when I was raising money for my first feature did I start to realize that. And when I was in film school, it was just a bubble, just like liberal arts college. It was a bubble for me. Mm. Um, the producing teacher warned us things, but I wasn't listening. Because <laughs> I, you know, I, I believe I, yeah, that's true. But see, my work is going to be really special. Right. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, <laughs> even I've gone to a lot of labs, you know, I did a, 
Sundance Labs and Film Independent and just great support, very nurturing environment. And But they also, you know, when you go into the real world, it's a slap in the face. Right. It's not as nurturing. No. I mean, of course not. <laughs> it's funny because you're saying that even at that point at school mm-hmm. where you hadn't made anything yet, there was a part of you that believed that your stories were going to be interesting, that they were going to be unique. We all did, because we have huge egos. Ah. <laughs> That's what I meant. I, you know, I just didn't... Expectations, you know, a lot of expectations of... Th- this form of work and this m- industry breed unhealthy egos and expectations. Mm. Do you think you have an unhealthy ego? No, probably not anymore. I did in film school. Do you think there's a huge difference between you in film school and you now? Yes. <laughs> Anybody who knows me will say that. Because I, I was really like, I, not just me, a lot of my friends as well. So looking back, I'm sure, and I have talked to some of them recently. Well, I can. Um, kind of grateful for that rough time. Because now it's not as rough in mm. terms of financing for films. It's great we went through that. Because it, it, when you sort of being stripped down to the essential and we I guess we could figure out who we are easier Mm. do you feel like you figured out who you were at that time to some extent yeah Yeah. it's just it's interesting because I don't know who I am though oh I I don't but 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 the kind of filmmaker the type of way of making film right I like that you're admitting that you don't know who you are I'm old enough to be comfortable to finally admit that yeah Oh, when what age did that hit at? <laughs> well, I'm 36, so I think maybe like a couple of years ago. <laughs> 34, okay. So 34, <laughs> that's when you're comfortable admitting that we don't know yeah. how much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you feel like, you, you know, the way you're describing your younger self mm. makes it sound like you thought that you were an asshole? People tell me that I was. <laughs> <laughs> Even my closest friends, oh, you're a bitch. <laughs> no, I mean, I was feisty and um, very rebellious. But you know, you get older, you realize, yeah, your parents were right. You know, your teachers were right. It's, uh, everybody goes through that. Everyone that was older was right? I mean, some things they said. Yes. You know, because now I'm trying to tell someone, yeah, younger, they're not going to listen. Right. They have to figure it out themselves. Was there something that Spike said that is right now? Spike always was right. <laughs> Spike's, uh, you know, he comes from a very different way of filmmaking as me. You know, he, he, um, I just liked uh, how fearless he, he is. And that was more like spiritually, I think he was a great mentor in that sense. But, uh, and his his advice were very specific. He's like, I like it when you just keep rolling on that shot. Like, don't like credit roll over. You know, it's very specific things, and and they're usually really helpful. Mm. We did we didn't spend that much time together. Just a couple, of, uh, like uh, office sessions, other than the class he was hosting. Was Kelly Reichardt teaching there at the time? I wish. <laughs> no. Well, he, she's never teaching anyway. Where does she teach? She teaches at some school. I thought it was NYU. Oh, I, I uh, definitely not because I would be taking her class. <laughs> Is she, was she like a model? You know, it's funny because I was, uh, after seeing your movies, I did think 
um, you're doing something very original. I don't want to compliment you too much because you've been complimented for the last year constantly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. I appreciate it. <laughs> no. But I, I did think there is a tonal similarity to something that Kelly Reichardt has done. Is she someone you think you were drawing from early on? My favorite film of hers is uh, Mies Cutoff. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I've watched it a couple of times. And um, yeah, it's just that silence, you know, that that um, ability to to create silence and tension and, and just to, to, to let scenes just be, but also keep the audience not checking their phones. <laughs> it's a tough you know, line to walk. Yeah. I think she does a great job with that. Do you think viewers these days are more impatient than ever? Do you? Not for me to say. I mean, I think it's obvious. <laughs> I mean, it's just more scientific mm. because the way we've been looking at screens. I have been quite obsessed with that stuff lately because my brother... Uh, just had a child mm. and he plays a lot of video games so I have been reading about what internet and what social media does for our brains and I couldn't believe how much that applied to myself that I can't hold a book these days and still reading and not want to like, skip lines because that's how I go on Wikipedia they say you're reading in F shape now people reading like a couple lines and then they go down and then might read a couple lines and because the way browsing right. is not crazy. I have not thought about it. The F really is uh, enlightening. Mm-hmm. That's probably true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Fuck. Ups- it's upsetting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just upsetting. It's just yeah. upsetting. Yeah. But your movies are trying to do something that seems completely antithetical to that. I mean, your movies do require attention. <laughs> yes. Uh, sorry <laughs> to some people. <laughs> Um, I don't think you have to apologize. Yeah. Well, sometimes when I'm sitting at a screening, I'm thinking, ah, oh, I should have probably sped up a little bit because <laughs> I feel people shifting. and It's a tough one. You're asking people to just like to be, to be there, to meditate almost to a certain extent. And it's the hardest thing in the world to sit down for five minutes and not doing anything. So, so if you're not bombarding them with stuff, you're asking people a lot today. Mm. Do you feel like you have to make movies like that because in your own life it's hard to find that piece i think making films are so is such a huge part of your day-to-day i really just need something that's not how i am like i need some otherwise i'll go crazy if i make like sean baker you know he and i would i would joke about it if i make films the kind of energy that yours i'll I'll probably just die (laughs) (laughs) or the safties you know i can't move the handle it yeah yeah because that's already how i am in my head it is yeah i didn't know that yeah you don't seem that way entirely you seem much more composed than like (laughs) maybe i'm really high right now i'm not not, i am not that would have been great we should have done that (laughs) no no You don't seem like good time, tangerine, mashed up, like overly excited, crazed. You seem pretty um, well adjusted. That's not true. Great. Yeah, don't. That's why you can't judge book by its cover. Well, I'm. I'm not now. I'm not judging now. I'm just hearing you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When you first started to try to make your feature film, it came out in 2015. Yeah. 
You made it in 2013, 2014, probably? We've made it in the fall of 2013. So in the lead up to the fall of 2013, I'm sure you were actively trying to make money. You, the last short film you did was in 2011. Yeah. So there's like a two-year period there where you know you need to make a feature mm-hmm. and you need the money to do it. Mm-hmm. What is happening in your life at that time? I was spending most of my time in South Dakota. So, um, and I was sort of living off of grants and student loan because, you know, you can take more loans even when you're not in class. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Now I'm depressed. <laughs> um, How are those loans feeling? Loans? I'm working pretty hard paying it back. You know, I think I'm doing a good job because yeah. I, I, I don't really spend money. Um, and I live in, I live in Ohio. Um, I live in a small town and uh, don't have a lot of nightlife or activities. So save money, pay back loans. Uh, <laughs> it was such a weird time because I was still doing a lot of labs. And then, and then there's that reality, the nurturing independent film world, people that I want to help. And then there's the reality of the industry. The financing is just not there. But I was in denial. And then there's also the reality of young people that I've spent time on the reservation. So so it was a mess already emotionally. So when everything sort of fell apart, um, yeah. When did it fall apart? A couple months before I shot the film. So I, we, we, we lost money twice. And um, I realized... If we don't do it, and South Dakota weather, by the way, you got about three months per year you can film there. That's why films are made there. For 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 one, of, that's one of the reasons. So if I don't make it now, I have to wait for next year. And the kids are growing up; they're at a very delicate age, mm-hmm. both the girl and the boy. So it's like becoming a young man, also from a girl to a young woman. Right. So I just had to do it. Your window was actively narrowing. Yeah. Also, if you if I lose those kids, I don't. Then you start over because I've been building the story around them. Mm. How do you respond to losing money twice? Going forward in life, I'd rather hit the bottom than like just halfway, because I hit the bottom. So I sort of came out the other side. What, the day what, we found out the money, we lost money, we were at RECSE New Jersey checking our cameras, thinking that. And then we got a call, shit. no money. Went back to Bushwick. Me and my DP were a couple. You know, we're living in Bushwick. And went home. It was broken into. Everything was stolen. My our computers, drives, camera, like my own camera, sound, and even some of the footage we shot that spring, it was like footage on Pine Ridge. I was going to use some green screen stuff we did for part of the film, for like a commercial on TV. All gone. And I just, you know, I'm sitting there, and then the cops came. They don't even care because it's like, yeah, you deserve it. Gentrifying the community in Bush. No, they just didn't care. It just happens so often, you know. Right. Um, and we just sat there in the apartment that night. We don't even have, other than our phones, we had no even laptops. So it was like, you know what? Fuck this. You know, just like, I can't call the producers. Like, do you guys still want to do this? Let's just do it. I have this much grand 
money left. We need this. We just need to raise $40,000. Then we can do this. And then RECSE, you know, bless them, saw all that, you know, us, me crying in the parking lot. So they gave us a camera for almost nothing, which was only reason why it was possible to make the film. Ah. The camera lenses, monitor everything. Yeah. I mean, when you're in your apartment and you see that you have nothing left, mm-hmm. is there a part of you that thinks, I, I just can't move forward? Well, in that moment, there is a community on the reservation I already built up. So I have that, all right? And then I have team members who is going to come, a couple of them is going to come along to do this with me. If I didn't have those, then I would probably give up. But I know going back there with these group, small group of people, I have access to so much. I can do something. Right. And and all the footage and all the the equipment lost. I mean, I just I'm like stunned that you could uh, keep going forward without having like a breakdown. Well, I broke down <laughs> many times, uh, but then you you wake up the next morning. It's just I don't have another reality at that time. I was so immersed in making these films. I it's hard to explain. I did not have. I have not. Re- text my mother back I don't have a, my best friend in New York so like trying it's like it's over the friendships are because he never talked to us and it was extreme so when your whole reality is moved to this place called Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota and and you you know you're there to make a film you just have to do it because otherwise like you have to start over your life <laughs> your whole life was this movie well, you know what? That was the shift between New York and South Dakota. That was me. I have lived in New York for 12 Like I, I'm a big city girl. I've never not lived in the metropolitan city. So that was also a huge shift mm. in terms of who I am. And I just packed up and, and left and went to move to South Dakota pretty much. How was uh, the first few days of shooting? Good, yeah. No, uh, the camera hasn't arrived. We're shooting on a 5D. <laughs> so the first part of the film, you probably can tell, there's a week worth of shooting is on the Canon 5D. Mm. We were in the roughest part of the reservation called Manderson, and um, one of the roughest parts. And we were with these locals and these young people, young kids, and there's not much to think about. You just do it. Just get on with it. Mm. Yeah. Are, are the subjects... In, in both the writer and, and your last film, how are they feeling about you being there with them? You're smiling when I ask this question because you've been asked it a whole bunch. Yeah. And I've Just read. Just four or like five years. Yeah. <laughs> and I've read your responses to it. What did I say? You say that they trusted you. Okay. But the question is not whether they trusted you, mm-hmm. which we know they did because there are two good movies because of it. Thank you. It's. Why do you think they trusted you? Well, I look like this. Makes it easier for them to trust me than you. Just purely because of skin tone mm-hmm. and gender. Because you're saying I look like a white person. <laughs> but you do have long hair, which might add a little something. That would help. Yeah, it will help. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it does matter. You know, people don't like to talk about it, but it's me being an Asian woman with long braids. Yeah. Helps. It helps. And also me being someone is an American, I don't, I, 
intellectually know what happened in this country, but I don't have the chips on my shoulders. I don't have that kind of, I don't feel the need. I need to romanticize Native Americans or I can't say this because right. they're victims. I don't feel that way at all. You mean you don't have the guilt? I don't have the guilt. Yeah, that's the word. I don't have the guilt. And that guilt is a very dangerous thing when we look at Native Americans because if we start treating them like human beings because we think we all, like you think you own them something. You yeah. And then you, you that's dangerous because they're now, they're individual human beings just like us. Mm. So they trusted you because of how you looked? How I looked. I walked around carried a, a bag of dog food. I had a Lakota name. It's Dog Food Woman because I fed all the dogs. <laughs> it's, I guess I'm t- telling that joke because it's weird for them, for a Chinese woman to come in and say, I want to make a fiction film. Mm-hmm. That helped too. They just heard documentary news yeah. for so much. They never hear like, well, you want to make a fiction film with my kid acting, yeah. really? I honestly think it's a shame. The rougher a uh, community, the more struggle they go through, the more funding goes into more like sports instead of arts. Sports are important, but it's so important for, for them to have like community theater or, you know, things like that where you can express yourself artistically what you're going through, but still be protected. Mm. Do you think also that you are someone to new people that meet you, um, you're someone who appears to not be threatening? You mean as a Chinese woman? As who you are. As who I am? Uh, maybe. Do you feel threatened? No. <laughs> but you also, should be careful. Well, <laughs> you know, the thing is, to bring this back to Spike for a second, mm-hmm. when someone like him, who is very aggressive, mm-hmm. he's someone who will challenge you early in first meeting you. Right, yeah. And if you don't, if you don't tell him like the back the fuck up, mm-hmm. then he'll just <laughs> roll over you. Right. You had this more, I've only met him twice. You've had it probably a lot more. And so in terms of being intimidated by people, my answer is always going to be no. Mm-hmm. Even if I am, right, right. am I intimidated that you're incredibly talented and oh, I also so want to make movies? Yeah. No, I'm not intimidated. I'm impressed. But you also do have a softness to you that I think other people don't have. I'm more of a Terry Malick type of uh, only type of uh, um, I aspire to have that vibe. Right. You know, I think this. I mean, again, Spike go, went through something I can never imagine what it's like growing up like he did. You know, he is who he is and today. I was intimidated, you know. And I think maybe I shouted because I was defensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but he probably respected you for that. Maybe, yeah. I think we have we respect each other. I respect him for sure. I don't know. But you can't go into, again, you can't go into a community. Spike works within his own community most of the time. But you can't go into someone else's community and start shouting. Not that I say well, what he does, but it's impossible to do that. So, and also, I left. I didn't grow up in my own community and still live there. I left home when I was very young, and I, I never stayed in one place for too long. So I'm constantly going to a new world, people's homes for holidays. And I have to be a chameleon. I have to back down and make myself almost like them to mm. be accepted. I've been doing this my whole life. Did you feel like you were going into a new home for the rider? Because it seemed 
Like no. it was an adjacent. That's home. not a new home. That's home. That's like that's Todd O'Brien's ranch where I met Brady. That's where I spend a lot of my time. And, right. Yeah. Who? He's Brady's far cousin. Mm-hmm. So it felt like returning back to home. Was it different the second time around when you're in that community making another movie? Different because I knew that I was too ambitious with my first one, stretch myself too thin. This time I just kept it so little, you know. Uh, uh, so I didn't really interact with the community. People will ask me that question. I don't think people even know we we're making a film. We're just on people's homes and their ranch that I already know. Where the first one is, I was showing up in huge events and it was more of a, a community based thing. Mm, and you think spreading yourself. And being overly ambitious on that first movie hurt your first movie. Yes. I had a script I wrote for 30 drafts and for three years. And it's much bigger and more conventional. And I wanted to make that. When that is not possible, I made, a some, I made something else, but I wasn't embracing it yet. Mm-hmm. I was still hoping it's something bigger. Right. And then did you ever accept that? Not while I was making it, you know, I was, I was going to, I was still trying to have the scale when I have eight people and no money, you know, I still have tried to have all these big plotty stuff, but plot means budget, you know, you, you, if you need <laughs> things to happen exactly how you want it to be from A to B to C, uh, these things need to be staged and make it happen. Right. When you, and, and you don't even know people show up, you know, you barely have enough people on set. Um, plot means budget. Meaning like if you want things to really happen the way you expect it to be, because when you have certain type of plot-driven film, one thing has to happen for the next thing to make sense. Mm. So what if you that day that those people just didn't show up to shoot this thing and you just don't have it? And then you better have time to do that scene for your next thing to make sense. But what if you don't have money to shoot that scene? Right. That, that's what I meant. And now there are holes in the plot and you're yeah. trying to stitch together. Which is what I did for my first film. Uh-huh. With the writer, I knew exactly how much money I had. And I produced a film that's achievable with a lot of space mm-hmm. within that budget and stuck to it. Yeah. In the writer, Brady says, in regards to writing, he says, I can't imagine doing anything else Mm -hmm. and that's sort of the film's mantra in a lot of way or like his character's mantra which is this life has been taken away from him and he can't imagine doing you know doing anything else and doing anything else makes him pretty sad and despondent and the first thing i thought of was do you feel the same way about filmmaking no it's strong uh, for him, it's like a bone deep. I mean, he's been on a horse since his eight. Two, yeah, but he's training his first horse since eight. But he's been riding like without assistance, like you know, two months old. He's on the bare back on a horse. His dad is watching him, mm. but the horse will literally move to hold him up. If he's leaned to the side, the horse will move to this good a good horse. That's what horse riding means to him. <laughs> I I am in. A bar in New York when I'm 26 saying, like, Shit, I need to do something with my life. <laughs> it's a very different thing. But storytelling, yeah, storytelling is something I've been loving since I was a little kid. I've always just wanted to draw, to 
write stories. Mm-hmm. So if it has to be in another form, it's not the end of the world. Do you think there's something inside you that needs to tell stories because it's the thing you're best at? Or it's because it's the thing that makes you feel the best? I'm not sure if it's the thing that I'm best at. I think I probably <laughs> cook better. I'm a good cook. Oh. Um, but, <laughs> but it makes me feel good. It does. Yeah, it does. It does from being, I'm the only child, you know, it, it comes from spending a lot of time on my own growing up, just writing fiction, put it online, read it back. I write the stuff, if you know anything about fan fiction, you write the stuff for yourself. Right. It's what you want to see. And then, and that's probably something will continue. Mm, your, your movies don't feel like fan fiction. You know what fan fiction is? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I do. Your movies don't feel like that. They are actually fan fic- For example, the writer could be a fan fiction movie of Brady's life, but the version I want to see. It. Right. Okay. I mean, I like that you're telling me I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But, but you know how the fan fiction, you take characters that already exist. Right. And then you, you put in the world that that makes sense you to you. You spin it I, how you want to see it. Yeah. And then you, you stay the good ones, the good fan fiction will stay somewhat <laughs> mostly true to the original character, but their personality has to be altered to a certain degree. But then aren't most movies fan fiction then? Yeah. It's to a certain degree. You know, I think so. In this case, just because they are actually people whose lives the stories are based mm. on, so it feels a little bit more. What do you think makes you an especially uh, skilled director? And there's a lot of people making movies. They don't all turn out as well as the two that you've done. Do you think there's something you have that others don't? I don't think so. Um, well, maybe I have... I don't know. I have, I, have a, I have something that I believe is how human beings should be interacting with people and how, how we should treat each other and, and, how, um, and how that should be communicated. Like, I don't think that's better than the other, but that's just what I like to do. And and the the mentors, not in person, but the kind of cinematic influence I've I've had, I think they're really powerful filmmakers. And I stuck to 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 these mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's it. How do you think people should be treating each other? Okay, well, so. Again, I don't think this is better than somebody else's way of filmmaking, but, you know, even when you're working with professional actors, there's a way of making films when it's your vision and everything will, the money and the, the skills will, will help you to make your vision exactly how it should be. And great films come out of that, that way of filmmaking. But my, my thing is a little bit more like, a, a, more like an ecosystem, m- more like a straight line. So, so I, I, I cannot really um, get excited about something unless I feel like I can really relate to even the professional actor who's playing a role mm. and who they are is actually part of that character. And then there's going to be these authentic human interactions between the character they're playing and, and another character that's not something I can ever script. So if that doesn't happen on my shoot, I'm going to be really depressed. It doesn't matter how big the budget is or how, you know... Mm. professional actor is there's been a lot of talk about the distinction between a professional actor and a non-professional actor i've also talked to sean baker who's come on the show and has helped on my own film it's been really helpful i don't understand the distinction a whole bunch yeah the only thing i wanted to ask you about that is do you think you are 
more inclined to work with people who don't do acting for a living. Like their 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 main source of income mm-hmm. is in acting. No, because um, my next three projects I have are all with professional actors. Mm. Um, mix maybe there are some I don't know. Depends. I, I'm always interested in non-conventional casting because it throws everybody off, right. including me, which is great. But what I, my thing is a little bit different than Shang's. Um, I need that actor or non-actor to have something who they are that's already the character. Something, even just 5%. Right. So I, I look for, I cast in that way. Something that connects them together. Yeah, and it's not something that a professional actor can get there because they train to, to, to be that role, and that's not enough for me. It has to have something. So it, you could be the best actor in the world, but if there isn't something about who they are, that's that character, right. I, I, I don't think I could uh, do it. And that is weird because then you're not talking about professional or non-professional actors. You're just talking about whether that person's going to work for you. You're talking about people. Right. 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 But it's funny because now you're saying you have three movies coming out. Not coming out. In the future. future. In the future. You have three projects lined up, which is like a director's dream. Anyone who directs would love to, even Sean would love to know his next three movies. You do. They're they're lined up enough. They're not Mm -hmm. real yet. Mm-hmm. They're not real until you shoot it. Mm-hmm. But I imagine in the response to this movie, which has been universally positive for a year, and is going to do well, I think. <laughs> this is not a compliment, I swear. <laughs> I can't. Apparently, I was told I can't take a compliment, so good luck. Really? Yeah. Who told you that? Elvis Mitchell, who is amazing. I love him so much. <laughs> but he's like, there's my guys who can't take a compliment. <laughs> he's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. you're, you're, you're not great at it for sure, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm not good at giving them, so it doesn't matter. Great. Um, my point is you have these three movies coming out and a larger apparatus than it took to make your last two movies. Mm-hmm. I imagine, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I imagine a larger system has come to you and said, we really love this latest movie and we kind of liked your first movie. But we love you, and now we want to like give you the funding to make all the things you've ever wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate at all? They might say that, but I don't think that's actually the case yet. I don't think I need another one or two movie to be like I can do it, like right. whatever I want, you know. But there is a desire to see, ooh, what could it be? But I, I'm again yet. Yeah, the person that was poured the cold water on everyone. Um, all of these films are existed because of very specific circumstances. And the ecosystem I was talking about, it cannot translate into something if you bring in a professional actor. So something has to be, there has to be a recreation of what the next step is. Mm. There's, there's not going to be a lot of overlapping. I think this is my question, which is like, do you think you're actively going to have to push back against a system that wants to impose their ideals of filmmaking on you because you very clearly have your own principles i know you don't like taking compliments but that is you don't make your two movies which feel like they're in the same ecosystem without having some principles yes 
Yes, I do have principles actually, strong ones. Okay. Um, so this we can agree I, on. I see. Yes, I we agree on. But the the principles is strong, but the the boundaries is very loose. <laughs> so maybe someday I will be doing a, a comic book superhero movie since I grew up with them. Um, so the boundaries are, but the principles are quite strong mm -hmm. um, because you have to live with it every day, you yourself. I think. Especially now, like we're at a time in the last year, you feel like there is a lot of opportunities, but I'm I'm always kind of careful because I want to make sure people are coming to me because they they like me as an individual and, and the kind of film I, I want to make instead of uh, a quota, you know, they need to fill. So even within that, even they're coming as who you are, when you're trying to be very authentic and you're trying to do something different, you're always going to have to fight back. Mm. Always. And it's never, it's going to be a, if you think it's going to come, it, the moment you, you become the, the status quo, you know, the moment you join the mainstream and it's the moment you're no longer pushing that. Right. Yeah. I think that's what sometimes Malik, you know, however you think about his films, his recent films, he's trying to, to push you know, mm -hmm. I really respect that. People have been especially critical of those. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard to do anything outside of a system. Yeah. You're going to make mistakes, you know, and I, I can, and I made a lot of mistakes and I'm really anxious when I talk about the roller coaster in my head earlier. But I think about it all day, all day long about waiting for the shoe to drop. But I cannot not take these risks because... What's the point, you know? Mm. It's so much of your life you're going to be putting into this. Are you afraid of compromising what you have? Like what What I have? The things that make you, oh. mm. you. I'm more liquid, you know, we talked about it. I don't, the, the, the principles would not change. But there are very couple, there's very few, you know, there's. But everything else, like I, if I am taking people's money, and I'm making, uh, you know, one of my next films is a historic epic, like a Western. I'm going to be taking people's money. And I don't like owing people money. So I, I want to make, I won't compromise to, to make right. sure that I'm not just making, you know, <laughs> a little art house thing with so much money. I can't do that. And I, I'm going to keep certain things in mind. I'm very realistic about that. You, Again, already, you already have college loans. <laughs> exactly, which is like, oh, you know, my Chinese side of me just like can't handle it. I don't want to, don't want to have loans. <laughs> What's the Chinese side? We don't really like to borrow money. Mm. That does like culturally, you don't credit card. You know, we don't do that. So that's an American thing. Mm. Yeah. Why is that culturally? I don't know. You know, like that's. I think that has. Uh, that's because I don't know China enough. But it's definitely growing up thinking I would like cash more. You know. Something tangible. Right. The credit idea is quite of a Western idea from part of our capitalism. Yeah. You know, it's not exactly an Eastern idea. No, it's a foolish idea. <laughs> it's it's an idea based on someone being like, you know, I don't have money, but you know, it'd be great if if I had a card that just told others that I may one day yeah. have money. Yeah. It's an absurd concept. Yeah. And it's why we're all in debt. Yeah. Exactly. Ooh, to China, apparently. Yeah, I, I've heard this. I've <laughs> I heard, heard we yeah. owe money to China. 
You can start by paying back by giving me some money when I'm leaving. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that is that people coming on? You know, in the history of this show, no one's ever got paid. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just talking about as an American giving a Chinese. Right. Money. Oh, okay. I'm doing a yeah a yeah. good deed. I get yeah. it. Um, I'll consider it. I think I actually have no cash. Yeah. Speaking of cash, I take credit. <laughs> oh, you do. Take mine. Great. You pulled it all in. Um, the last thing I want to ask you before we leave, I guess it's two things. Okay. One, when you decided while you were bartending, uh, you know, I had to get my life together is mm -hmm. essentially what you said. Did you think at any moment that you would be here? I was thinking I would be, there are times that I think I would be like far from here, like way ahead. Again, oh, ahead. Yeah, I just that when you don't know a craft, it's easy. You know, you could you could be scared of it, but you can also think, oh, I can do this. And once you get to learn a craft and understand the history of it and what it's it take to get to, to a certain place, and then you realize, oh, shit, you know. <laughs> so in that sense, I didn't expect to be here. Hmm. Yeah, so there's both. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you feel like you haven't gotten far enough. Because I think to most people, if they saw your career on paper, they'd be like, hmm. you've really done something. But we know how those films are made. And we know the, in the industry and the reality of the industry. You know, a lot of times what make you film so great or, you know, what make you excited is something that's going to make it really difficult when you go into the real world. And that's some because i am gone through what I went through for my first movie, hmm. I am really you know have no expect it's the other way around again i hit so low i don't have expectations about anything moving forward you don't now for the writer we made it with less money less crew than my first film decided to make the film about less than two months before start shooting it came up with the idea less than two months before shooting it so that's now someone who has a plan for the movie you know i just was like i don't care let's just make something hmm. So all of this feels great, but makes me anxious because you could just very well be gone again for the next film. Right. Your shelf life is really, really short. Is anxious okay? No, good for your health, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but once you have, get pets, pets help. No. Have dogs, they help your anxiety. Pets yeah. help. Yeah. This is, how can you work in the film industry and not be anxious? I really, somebody gave me some advice, you know. I would like to know. Oh, uh, you're asking for advice? Yeah. F you From me? Yeah. Wrong place. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> so you, you, you get anxious too? I mean, what are you talking about? This whole show <laughs> exists because I've been anxious. That's the premise of the show. Didn't the publicist tell you? That's no. why people come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's therapy. No. Good. Good to know. So now I don't feel like a freak. Great. No, you're not a freak. I mean, you are, yes, but we all are. So it's okay. <laughs> totally fine. Um, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway, and then we're going to go. Okay. I'm not going to give you money when we leave. <laughs> That's okay. I'm very <laughs> happy to be here. This is the nicest setting. I okay. love it. Good. Um, now that you've made these two films, and you have more to go, three mm -hmm. more to go, and hopefully more after that, although nothing is certain, Yeah. are you at all happy with yourself like you had a moment 
at the start of your career, ostensibly, you know, mm-hmm. after your short films, the start of your feature career, where you went back to your apartment and everything was taken from you. And now you're here. And 99.9% of people don't get here after that. Does that at all make you feel a little less anxious? I feel fortunate. I feel very lucky. And that next morning, that next day, just the sheer excitement and drive that I had and passion because everything's gone, you know, you don't care anymore. And that I'm, I'm free. I'm going to do something now. And, and it was the first time I felt really free and excited about making that film. That feeling after I hit rock, rock bottom, sometimes people don't get that when they have success. Mm. So I am happy that I, if I am happy, but I'm happy that I'm so anxious and so glass half empty <laughs> that I'm still going to be able to get really excited about the next one. Yeah. If that makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense. Chloe, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Of course. So long. Special thanks this week to Kellen and Erica from BKPR for making today's episode possible. The Rider opened this past weekend in Los Angeles and New York. And if people go out and support and spread the word about this wonderful movie, it will continue expanding across the country throughout April and May. If you'd like to hear more about Chloe, be sure to visit our show notes at www.talkeasypod.com. Also, if you like this episode with Chloe, you probably would, uh, I don't know, enjoy other conversations with directors that we've had on Talk Easy. A couple of them were mentioned in this conversation. Kelly Reichardt, Sean Baker, James Gray, Jay Duplass. We've had a whole bunch of wonderful people on, and you can find all those at the website at www.talkeasypod.com and on iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. As always, our show is executive produced by David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, illustrations by Krishna Shenoy, our associate producer is Valerie Attenhofer, and the show is produced by Dylan Peck. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you next week.
the tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. You know, I love music, but I haven't picked up an instrument in years. You know why? I tell myself, I don't have time. Where am I going to find a teacher? Well, there's an answer. Musora. Musora is the place where you can learn essential skills and techniques with more than a hundred of the world's best teachers and musicians and thousands of famous songs. You get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 per month, less than a single private lesson. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com to start a new musical journey today. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.